Well, the four states fair starts, huh? I've always said I, I wasn't going to go to one of those until they became not just fair, but at least above average. Uh, but I, I am looking forward to going out to the four states fair. It kind of reminds me of my first church a long time ago at Emmanuel in Belvedere when I arrived in the middle of July. I was told, Pastor, don't bother organizing anything in August because the Boone County Fair is what's most important in August. I didn't really believe it until we decided to try a few things and found that I was the only one there because everyone else was consumed by the fair. It seems that it's a pretty important thing here too. And I hope that you'll not only be out there, but that you'll also take the time to come and serve and to help in our fair booth. And as God gives you the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with other people. You know, I've been going to fairs most of my life. I remember as a kid growing up in Seward, Nebraska, going to the Seward County Fair. And one of the very first things I could remember was going to what they called the Fun House. And, and the Fun House was really not so much fun because they really tried to scare you to death. But in the funhouse was something that I always remember. Maybe some of you remember those things. Those are those wavy mirrors. You know those wavy mirrors? And you'd stand in front of these wavy mirrors. You know, your head would be this big and your waist would be this big. I like that one. But you know, if you turned sideways, it just kind of distorted you. I mean, they were, it was all distorted because they were imperfect mirrors. But you know, in much the same way when you and I were growing up, the people around us served as mirrors as well. Growing up in Nebraska, I know that there are a lot of people who reflected back to me what they thought I was or what they thought I should be. In fact, everybody around you when you grew up kind of reflected those same things back to you. The problem is none of you grew up around perfect adults. You grew up around people who were also imperfect, people who were a little bit distorted and as a result, you might have walked away from your life with a distorted view of yourself as well. For example, some of you were told when you were small kids that you're losers. And as a result, you thought of yourself most of your life as a loser, and guess what? You're a loser. Some of you were told as kids that, well, you're just not very bright. And so you've always kind of thought of yourself as not being very bright. If you grew up always seeing yourself as a victim, chances are you're victimized continuously today. If you see yourself as not being very creative, guess what? You won't create much of anything. If you see yourself as a failure, chances are you'll be a failure. All of this because of faulty reflections. And because of that, we all carry a certain amount of emotional baggage or emotional scars. The question is, how do we get rid of that stuff? How do you deal with your past? Well, that's the point of this message series. We want, to need, we want to look at life from God's point of view. After all, God says that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Now, today we're going to talk about the truth about yourself. At least the truth as far as God sees us. You know, God looks at each and every one of us and he sees something totally different than what your parents saw. He sees something totally different than what you see when you look in the mirror in the morning. I want to share with you this morning five things God sees when he looks at you. 
Here's the very first thing he sees. God sees you, he sees me, as acceptable. He sees me as acceptable. That's what we need. God accepts me for who I am. In Titus chapter 3, I read it to you before, it said, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God, and he gave us the hope of eternal life. I don't think I need to tell many of you, but one of the number one hurts in life is that feeling of rejection. If you have ever been rejected by a parent, if you've ever been rejected by a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, if you've ever been rejected by a teacher, when you're rejected, nothing hurts more. And as a result, many of us spend a lot of our life trying to avoid rejection because we want to be accepted more than anything else. We want to be accepted by our spouse. We want to be accepted by our neighbors. We want to be accepted by our children. You know, when you're a new pastor, you want to be accepted by the people in church. And if truth were told, you want to be accepted by all the other folks that are sitting around you, whether you know it or not. In fact, it has been said that we want to even be accepted by people we don't even like. Isn't that amazing? I read this somewhere. It says, we, um, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Isn't that true? We want acceptance from everybody in life. And so many of our life's decisions are made because we want to be accepted. It's shown in the houses we buy, the clothes we wear, the cars we drive. It's sometimes even shown by the church we attend. We want to be approved. We want to be significant. We want to be recognized. We want to be accepted. And a lot of us in our heart of hearts have this strange thought that if I can just get everybody to think that I'm perfect, maybe they will accept me. And so what we do is we put on these masks and we walk around and we pretend to be something that we're not. We pretend to be better than we are. And we think that if we do this, people will look at us and they will accept us. Let me tell you three things that are wrong about that. Number one, nobody believes it. Everybody knows you're wearing the mask. Number two, you're never going to be perfect. And number three, even if you were, people still would not accept you. Because acceptance is not based on perfection. You understand that? Acceptance is not based upon perfection. Acceptance is based on another person's maturity and love. And guess what? If you're hanging around with people who don't have a very high level of maturity and love, they're not going to accept you. In my Bible, Jesus was perfect. And yet, the Bible says he was despised and he was rejected by men. So even if you're trying to be perfect, and believe me, folks, you're never going to be perfect, you will never, ever be accepted by everybody. And you've heard me say this before, build a bridge and get over it already. See, the good news is that God accepted you a long time ago. In Titus it says God saved us not because we were good enough. I mean, there it is. He saved us not because we we're good enough, but because what? Of his kindness and his grace by the washing away of our sins, all because of what Jesus our Savior did so that he could count us good in God's eyes. Now I'm going to make a sweeping judgment here, all the way from Anand up here in the front, all the way down over here to the Thamer family. Okay? I'm going to make the assumption 
that most of you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But I'm also going to make this assumption that even though most of you have accepted Jesus, many of you still don't realize that God has accepted you. And there's a difference there. See, in your mind, you are still trying to earn God's favor. But God says, you are good in my eyes because of Jesus. You're acceptable to me. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, you have been chosen by God himself. God chose you to be his child. And because of Jesus, he's pleased with you. Now, some of you grew up with unpleasable parents. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that was you. There are some of you, you were never, ever able to please the people who raised you. No matter what you did, you could not get their approval. If you had C's, they wanted B's. And if you got B's, they wanted A's. No matter how hard you tried, you could just not do it right. And guess what? Some of you that are adults today, some of you that are still my age, what do you do it? You're still trying to earn your parents' approval. That's what's driving you. That's why some of you are workaholics. Maybe why some of you are alcoholics. I don't know. Some of you, your parents have been dead for years. And you're still trying to do something to live up to their expectations. Let me tell you two very important truths about this. Number one, if you did not get approval growing up, you will probably never, ever get it. That's truth number one. You need to understand that. The reason why is because it's not about you, it's about your parents. It's their lack of self-esteem that's causing them not to accept you. Hurt people hurt other people. Again, let go. Just build a bridge and get over it. Here's the second thing. You don't need other people's approval to be happy. There are, what, six billion people in the world. Anand, most of them seems like live in India, huh? A lot of them. Six billion people in the world. I mean, folks, think about it. Is it okay that two people don't like you? I mean, come on, I think so. So stop trying to live your life to, to get the approval of everybody. It's not going to happen. Start living for God because God has already accepted you. Here's the second thing. God sees me, God sees you as valuable. In Luke 12, chapter 12, it says, look at all the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in the barns because God feeds them. And you're far more valuable than any other birds. I was sitting in my family room the other day and all of a sudden I heard, I thought, what was that? I mean, I'm home by myself, at least until tomorrow. And I got up and I wonder what that thump was. And I walked out and guess what? Some bird had run into the patio door. He was out cold. He was so cold he's never going to be warm again. Pretty easy to fling him into the creek. Okay? But the Bible says God cares about that. God knows when that happens. And believe me, if God cares about some bird that's so dumb it can't picture a, figure out a picture window, I think God can also care about people that he created as well. Now, have you ever thought about what makes something valuable? What is it that makes something valuable? I, I tell you, there's two things that make something valuable. One is, it has to do with who owns it. I don't know if anybody, if, if you remember this, but a few years ago there were some journalists who were 
arrested for trying to smuggle some of Saddam Hussein's artwork out of Iraq. It was some of the most ugliest, god-awful, funkiest, stupid stuff I've ever seen. Kind of like Elvis on velvet or dogs playing poker. And I shouldn't say that. If some of you got that, I apologize. But, you know, it was valuable. Why? Because it belonged to Saddam Hussein, no matter how ugly it looked. So people thought it had value. Now let me ask you this. Who do you belong to? You belong to God. You can't get any bigger than that. God created you. He died for you. He saved you. You belong to Him. I mean, just imagine how valuable you are. Now there's another thing that makes things valuable. It is, what is somebody willing to pay for it? Before Nancy and I moved down here some six months ago, we had a house to sell. We had people say, oh, Pastor, your house is worth X number of dollars. I said, no, my house is worth whatever anybody's going to pay me for. It. That's how much it's worth. How much was paid for you? 1 Corinthians 7.23, you have been bought and paid for by Jesus with his life. So what? You belong to him. The greatest ransom ever paid was paid by God's Son because you are valuable to Him. The people who told you when you were growing up that you were worthless, guess what? They were liars. They were not telling you the truth. They were dead wrong. You're valuable to God. Here's the third thing we need to understand, and that's that God also sees me as being lovable. Most of us know John 3.16, for God so loved, what, the beautiful people. God so loved the smart people. God so loved Missouri Synod Lutherans. God so loved, you go on and on, it says, God so loved the world. Not the beautiful or intelligent or the cool or the religious or the perfect, the world. That means everybody, you and me, everybody that the rest of the world sometimes considers to be absolutely worthless and unlovable. Jesus says, I would rather die than live without you. Do you know that? Jesus would said, I'd rather die than to live without you. That's the kind of love God has for you. In Isaiah 54, it says, the mountains and hills may crumble, but my love will never end. Let me tell you a couple things about God's love. One of them is that God's love is consistent. God never wakes up having a bad day. God well, first of all, God never goes to sleep. God never has a bad hair day. God does not wake up grumpy in the morning saying, you know, there's a bunch of folks I really don't like. I'm going to smoke them really good and proper today. God's love is consistent. He's always loving. The second thing is God's love is totally unconditional. God never looks at us and says, you know, Barry, I love you because... He doesn't say that. He just says, I love you, period, end of sentence, end of paragraph, end of discussion. God's love is not based on my performance. God's love is not based on your performance. God's love is based on his character. He says, I love you, you're mine, I made you, I saved you, I bought you, I want you to be with me for all eternity. So friends, none of us never needs to ask, is God going to love me today? Did I pray enough today? Did I put enough in the offering plate today? Have I gone to enough Bible classes yet? 
You know, have I done whatever? Friends, God is, understand it, God is not, will never love you any more or any less than he loves you right now. That's because his love is consistent, and that's because his love is unconditional. Here's the fourth thing God sees when he looks at us. God sees us as forgivable. Forgivable. Ephesians 1.4. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault, we who stand before him covered by his love. That's an absolutely incredible Bible verse. That's one that's worth memorizing. Before God made you, God knew everything that you would ever, ever do. He knew all the mistakes. He knew all of the nonsense that you people would pull and I would pull. By the way, God never looked at you sinning and said, Whoa, never saw that one coming. See, God saw all of that stuff in advance and says, I'm willing to forgive you no matter what. That's the good news. If I receive Jesus, guess what? My sins are all wiped out. They're all erased. That's what God's grace, the good news of God's grace is all about. What a wonderful gift. Unfortunately, there are a lot of us who don't really believe it. And I'd suggest to you that there are some of you here today who don't really believe it. You still are hung up with this silly idea that God is out to get people when they don't do things right. For example, I heard this story a couple of years ago. A man was driving north out of Illinois up to his summer home in northern Wisconsin. He was not very far from his summer home when he hit an oil slick. His car slid off the road down into a ravine. His brand new Hummer was totaled. He himself was alive, but he was all scratched up, and he slowly crawled up out of that ravine. And just as he got to the top, a storm came up, and he was totally drenched. So here he stands, drenched and shivering and beat up, just in time to see a lightning bolt come down and hit his cabin, and burn it to the ground. He looks up to the skies and he says, Why me, God? Why me? And he hears a voice coming down from heaven that says, Because some people like you just ticked me off. <laughs> now, that's typical of what a lot of people think about God. That somehow God gets ticked off at us. And so he just sitting up in heaven with a big lightning bolt waiting to get you and smoke you where you stand or sit. I must have done something wrong. That's why God is doing this to me. Oh, poor me. I mean, you go to Taco Bueno and you order a beef burrito and when you bite into it, there's no meat and you go, Oh, what did I do? God is getting back at me. Meanwhile, Two chairs over is some vegetarian who got your beef burrito who's going, oh, what did I do? God is going to do We are so confused about all this nonsense. Isaiah 43 says, I am the God who forgives your sins, and I do this because, not because of you, but because of who I am. I will not hold your sins against you. You might carry grudges. I might carry grudges. God does not carry a grudge. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Friends, if you are feeling condemned, I'm going to suggest to you very strongly that you may not be in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, nothing can land on you. You're kind of like Teflon. Nothing can stick to you. I mean, when you think about that, you ought to take a big, deep breath. Fact, let's all take a big, deep breath. Okay, let's all say, thank God. Thank God I'm forgiven. Because of what Jesus has done. Doesn't that feel good? I'm forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Here's the last thing. God sees me as capable. Capable. 2 Corinthians 3. The capacity that we have comes from God. It is He who made us capable of serving the new covenant. We have an epidemic here in America. Have had for the last, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 years. It's an epidemic of low self-esteem. I gotta tell you, this is just kind of off to the side, but I hate every word that starts with self. I don't know of any word that starts with self that's a good word. It is so egocentric. I gotta have a good self-image. Oh, if I could just have good self-esteem. Baloney, you need God esteem, you need God image. But we suffer from this epidemic of low self-esteem. In fact, they say, one study said that's the number one problem with women in America today, they suffer from a low self-esteem. Now, why do we suffer from having a low self-esteem? I'm going to suggest to you it's because many of us continue to replay those old tapes. We are still living by what somebody said about us 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Now, studies show that the younger you were when you were rejected, the greater the impact it has on your life. Now, some of you know that I was raised by my grandparents. I don't remember how that happened. I know I had a mother and father. That's generally how you get into the world. I understand that much of it. But as a little child, I suddenly woke up and I was living with my grandparents. I was rejected by two people. One who didn't be want to be around and evidently didn't want the responsibility of having a small child to raise, and the other one, that the Nebraska State Penitentiary was going to hold for a period of time and had no business raising a small child. Growing up, I often wondered what it was that I did to deserve that, and I just thank God for surrounding me with loving people who said it had nothing to do with you. We love you, God loves you, but I can still remember feeling pretty worthless at times in my young life. Some of you had those similar experiences. Some of you, when you grew up, grew up with people saying to you, you don't matter. You're a failure. You'll never amount to anything. You're worthless. You're dumb. You're fat. You're crazy. You're stupid. You can't do anything right. So here's the question, friends. People have cursed you when they've told you that. When people told me a long time ago, you're just a gangster, that's all you are, that's all you'll ever be. They cursed me. How do you remove a curse of you're too fat, you're too ugly, you're too dumb? How do you remove that? Well, first of all, don't ever say that to your kids. Don't say that to your grandkids. Don't say that to anybody. Don't say that about anybody who's valuable and loved and meaningful to God. But how do you remove the curse that people place on you? I'll tell you one thing you don't do. You don't do it by focusing on that curse. You don't do it by thinking about it all the time. And you don't even 
do it by thinking, I'm going to prove those people wrong because you're still trying to build your life on a negative. You do it by building your life on a positive. You focus on the truth. And it says when you focus on the truth, the truth will set you free. And what is the truth? It's what God sees as you. It's what God says about you. God says you're capable. God says, I created you for a purpose. Now, I think most of us know that when you become Christians, what happens? God says, I send my Holy Spirit to live in you. Now, what does that really mean? It just really means that God says, I'm going to reside in you. So, that means you've got all of his strength, all of his ability, all of his insight. That's how much he loves you. Philippians 4.13 is one of my favorite Bible passages. It says, you know, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. Or I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In other words, I, I'm ready for anything. I'm equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength in me. That's, I am self-sufficient only because of Christ's sufficiency which is in me. Now, psychologists say that the way you see yourself is largely determined by what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. I mean, think about that for a moment. How you view yourself is more often than not determined by who you think or what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. Now, the question is, what? Who's the most important person in your life? Some of you are still muddling through life because mom and dad were the most important people and they reflected back a faulty image. Some of you have set your spouse up as the most important person in this world and that's why you sometimes don't feel very good about yourself. Some of you have set your kids up as being the most important thing in the world and, and you find yourself being disappointed from time to time. I'm always amazed when I see a newscast where people are standing outside of their house and their house is burned down and they're weeping and they're saying, I've lost everything in the world. And you know, for some people, when they've lost their house, when they've lost their cars, when they've lost their jobs, they have lost everything in the world because those things were number one in their life. See, it's true. If that's true, that we are going to look upon ourselves in the way that the most important in our life thinks about us, that means we need to make Jesus the most important person in our life. Why? Because it's Jesus who sees us as valuable. It's him who sees us as acceptable and forgivable and lovable and capable. Now, I have no way of telling how you have been hurt. But I know that if you are a human being sitting here, and I think you're human beings, I know you've been hurt somewhere along your life. You've been hurt by other human beings who just hurt other human beings. I don't know what people may have said to you growing up. I don't know what people did to crush you. I don't know what people did that might have caused you rejection. But I can tell you one thing about those people. They were liars. That's pretty harsh. But those people who crushed you or rejected you or hurt you were liars. You need to hear something, friends, and hear it very loud and clear. God cares for you. And for what it's worth, I care about you. And guess what? I think this church cares about you as well. This is not just a church. This is the body of Christ. It's a family. It's a family that honestly wants to help you get healed. 
And it starts by proclaiming to you the truth about Jesus, by helping you make Jesus be the most important thing in your life and caring more about his opinion than you care about any other opinion. It's just that simple. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you can heal broken hearts, that you can heal broken memories, that you can heal damaged self-esteem. Thank you that patterns can be erased, that patterns can be reversed. Thank you that you turn nobodies into somebodies. Jesus, I ask you to help people here to begin seeing themselves today through your eyes, your eyes of love that have been shown to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want you to look at your thumb and I want you to say, I'm somebody special. <laughs> Did you say that? Let me hear you say it. I'm somebody special. Now, i got to tell you, I shared that at Louisiana State Prison about six or seven years ago. And by the end of the day, I could walk through that prison. Some of you won't be able to see this. And I would have prisoners walk up to me and they would do this. Doc, I'm somebody special. They drew a little face on their thumb. I want you to repeat something after me this morning. I want to hear you say this. Because of Jesus, I am acceptable. Because of Jesus, I am valuable. Because of Jesus, I am lovable. Because of Jesus, I am forgivable. Because of, Jesus, because of Jesus, I am capable. I am capable. May God bless you in that pursuit. Amen.